right. Let's talk about it. I was looking at the lion poster. You know, the one that says courage in big bold type. It looked at me first. What an aloof, judgy gaze. You know how lions size you up. They look right through you like you're one of those underwhelming snacks in a continental breakfast spread in a holy day's inn. The vibe I got was, You ain't nothing but a poor substitute for a cheese danish, which we're told will be replenished shortly. Short stack little C's. It was a lot of implied sass for a poster. I mean, I thought these things were supposed to inspire confidence, courage, you know, bravery. Anyway, the only reason I looked at it was it's guarding the door. I've been terrified of exiting the door, the hallway, whatever awaits out there, something's out there. And, well, you're not going to believe what I found. I found the utility closet. Yeah, we all know the riddle from old Blompy. The one that says, To find the storage room, look for a nook where you could see yourself, but you could honestly, in a trillion years, never actually see yourself. It was in the bathroom the whole time. The floor-to-ceiling mirror, that 17 inches wide. You know what? Mompy's gonna get it when he comes back, because <laughs> oh, he's gonna get two big bat ears full. I would never expect that to be a door to a walk-in closet because no human is, I mean, yes, some humans are that narrow, but most are not, and I may have quite the paunch, but that doesn't mean I'm, ah, don't like to be shamed. Inside the narrow closet that I had to suck my stomach in just to fit halfway into it was a huge sack of wazzles to refill the cut glass bowl, I assume. Did I mention that? There's a cut glass bowl on the side table. Hard candies, individually wrapped. I mean, I guess they're semi-soft. I haven't seen a wazzle before now. Now I feel like I have seen a lot because this bag is, uh, it's got 40, 50 pounds. And it says, uh, infinite flavors for infinite fun. That can't be true. I mean, either of those. <laughs> I mean, we'll find out. And there was a white, triple-fat goose-down bolo jacket. Apparently from the late 1990s, early 2000s. This is an Earth-style jacket with the brand name logo printed on the sleeve. So huge, you could see it from 50 yards. I mean, we're talking a font weight that could kill an elephant. I mean, this is a giant font. Oof, man. I mean, this, this thing, people wore these. Anyway, I'll just try this on, see if it fits. Hey, not bad. Bit too small to zip up, but sure is cozy. Not a fan of white jackets myself. You had to be pretty brave in Neo Amsterdam to don one. Between the guano, mystery fluid dripping from the stratoscrapers and bodega awnings, and the general sludge, You'd be lucky to end up looking like a Dalmatian rolled in schmutz in a month's time. Now you know why most Amsterdamisans wear black or Dalmatian rolled in schmutz colored outfits. Yep, it's that time again. Dream Warriors, mount up. Let's pick up where we left off on Zelly's tale with the, the kidnapping or baby napping, whatever you call it. When we last left them, 
Zelly and Ernesto had barely escaped the third-story nursery of Mrs. Karabak's Brooklink's home. They had taken Yono, Mrs. C's allegedly stolen adopted baby, in tow in a high-tech stroller. Zelly had no leeway to nurse her injury, and moments after they hit the home's immaculate lawn, two cyber samurai seized Ernesto, separating him from the group. Sensing conflict, the baby buggy's AI brain switched to survival mode, and it scooched away from the samurais. Meanwhile, Zelly's neck throbbed and she grew faint. She tumbled off the buggy's chariot platform onto the wet grass. Odell sized up their now multiplying enemy and shrinking choices. Leaving without Zelly's nephew Ernesto was not an option, snot-nosed and rebellious as he was. The cyber samurai held him as if awaiting instructions from the lady of the house. Mrs. C dropped from the cable restraining her on the second story, like a spider ditching its web. Time was running out. Odell assessed his options. Leaving without Zelly would put him in charge of caring for an annoying baby brat and an infant. And if he molded over one second longer, he'd likely be the first one to get smoked. As an elderly bachelor curmudgeon, Odell's maternal instinct had a sort of pent-up energy even he had not predicted, and it caught him severely off guard. We know that this inclination to nurture and fight off threats has nothing to do with being an actual mother, and if it's an instinct at all, it manifests in all sorts of care providers who take responsibility. Speaking of which, he instantly attributed his longevity up until that point to the absence of such an arduous set of worries and hoops to clear. Though in his way, he had come to be a provider for the dispossessed, two alley cats, a stray dog, and a handful of lost souls who bore the weight of a world crushing down most people who remained defenseless by default. Zelly, for example, was one of these people, though she was strong. He leered at her with an affectionate disgust as she held a bloodied sleeve over the place in her neck where moments earlier Mrs. C had stuck a chopstick. I'm not even gonna say it, he muttered as he strutted over to her and extracted the blade, then slapped a piece of Celex B cauterizing tape on the wound. I'd give you about 15 minutes before the internal bleeding becomes a life ender, you harebrained do-gooder doofus. He moved through the scene with impunity after having triggered a camo stick. It gave him three, maybe four minutes of near invisibility, though only the first 60 seconds was guaranteed. So there was really no choice but to act. And it cost him five times the price of what the damn digiring he'd just bought from Zelly would fetch. Putting him significantly in the hole for the night, he hated the Reckoner. That's what he nicknamed the voice in his head that was tallying up every dang petty cash calculation whether he wanted to or not. The Reckoner didn't give a Drex shine about Baby Yono. To the Reckoner, Baby Yono was a red line on the balance sheet, clicking along as its initial tally auto-calculated. The only way to drown out the Reckoner was action, and increasingly, risk. Because to enter into greater risk, 
short-circuited the Reckoner's monotone pronouncements and cyber-cash-registered ding. Odell turned to Ernesto, and by association, the armored arachno-tank baby buggy in which Baby Yono eked out a whimper. Ernesto remained hostage of the two cyber samurai, their katanas grazing his neck. The Potemkin Pumpkin brand stroller had rolled away from Ernesto and the samurais, giving Odell a head start at reaching it first, though he could clearly see Mrs. Karabak emerging from the shrubbery near the front door. So, he had negative time to waste. He advanced like the rook he was and pressed the yellow baby lock button on the buggy, which armored up and added a layer of nitrochrome. This material not only deflected 99.9% of incoming brute force attacks, but also, when activated with the remote key fob, paralyzed anyone in direct contact with the stroller or moving in a pointed vector within a three-foot radius. Destroy. It was a feature banned in every borough of Neo-Amsterdam due to all of the creative ways in which it could be abused to the detriment of innocent bystanders. He had already yoinked the embedded yellow key fob shaped like an exclamation point and pocketed it, making him the commander and captain of the vehicle, as well as the only person immune to its paralyzing zap. Of course, we would have to also include the baby. Mrs. C addressed the cyber samurai just loud enough to inform Zelly and Odell, for whom she scanned the perimeter, but quiet enough to avoid alerting the neighbors on the sleepily tree-lined street of centimillion-dollar brownstones and single-family bunkers. And, of course, the approaching blackguards wouldn't catch wind of this. Decapitate the young thief and baby abductor in T-minus 30 seconds. If the buggy is not returned to me with everything and every one you've taken, well, you can guess what will happen. Zelly turned and glared in what she thought was Odell's direction, since even she could not see him in the foggy gloom of the night. Yet, it both intensified the damage done to her neck and sent a message to Mrs. C indicating Odell's likely whereabouts. For his part, Odell was surprisingly unperturbed, as he knew approaching the buggy would be a giveaway, and it was only a matter of moments till he glitched into plain view. He grunted and careened into the stupidest opening available. No strategy, no exit hatch, pure bravado. Hey, cyber bitch! You lay one blade on that kid, and you're worse than all of us combined. Don't make me go nuclear. Because if you think I have even five creds left to lose, you're gravely out of your depth. Hell, it'd be a relief. The clock clicked. Okay, what's your counter? He was really hoping she would just turn Ernesto loose. Then he could toss her the fob as he and Zelly and Ernesto rode off into the moonlight. But her question summoned the Reckoner instead. Let's see. What's my counteroffer? Uh, shall we take the Platinum too? Reverse the earlier losses? In that moment of hesitation, 
The cyber samurai to the left of Ernesto caught a glimpse of Odell as his invisibility cloaking device flickered off for a few nanoseconds. The samurai freed a hand. Not really a good freed hand. It was a third cyber arm that unfolded from his armored kimono and flung a nano dagger spinning at Odell's gut. Odell ducked and caught it in the ribs. Smack dab in a chink in his own reinforced pleather trench coat. It hurt something fierce, silencing the reckoner for the time being. The spectacle of his being caught by such a virtuosic and stunning blow lit up, highlighting the pathetic scaffolding of this crew of burglars and rogues. Actually, the blast lights on a blackguard hover cruiser may have just flashed across the lawn at the right time. Or, I should say, wrong time. The appearance of the cops at this point made the odds pretty slim for Zelly, Odell, and the gang. Did they wriggle free from the situation? To be continued. What? This is criminal. And you're a liar and a thief. You can't steal a story away from us like that, taking the pleasure of a clean ending, you digi-dotard. Hey, hey. Okay. Uh, listen, you body-shaming bat. Where have you been? Oh, you're, you're going to bed now? And now, back to the downside up. With cowardice. Or is it courage? We'll figure it out. In a diplomat's home, hospitality takes on a ceremonial importance in Neo-Amsterdam, which is why the documentarian Constance Peterson honed in on her subject's role in helping to prepare a stone stew on the deadly night of Victor von Dram's visit to the Pessoa family's government-issued apartment in the Digi Plaza Embassy Suites. Lilike, pronouns Z, Zer, Zers, Zay, Zer, Zem, They, Their, Them, was the name of the junior genius. A mere eight years old on the night of that fateful dinner nearly two years ago, Lilike knew the only reason they were sitting there under the blinding lights with a multi-camera holographic film crew pointed at them from every direction was because they had, on the night of that fateful dinner, stirred up the insidious stew. After having earlier in the interview process stated for the camera that they were nine, Lilike noticed with surprise that it was already 5.07 in the evening. They had technically turned 10 years old seven minutes ago and felt the need to make that clear for the record, just in case someone were to question their integrity. However, not wanting to interrupt the elaborate ritual that preceded the filming process, they waited until everyone was quiet. Lilike shyly informed their interviewer of this fact. Hey, I just wanted to say that um, I know that the earlier I said I was nine, but as of 5 p.m., I'm now 10. And just so that the what is the, that the record should reflect that um, I, I wasn't lying or anything. Constance paused to consider it. 10? That's is that an issue? 
What am I saying? Happy birthday! Lilike smiled and looked around the room at the members of the holography crew, whose job it was to melt away into the darkness and disappear behind their equipment like soundless ninjas. Everyone stifled a chuckle. They were unusually disciplined. And it was an oddly discomforting feeling to have a room full of adults fall somberly silent behind blinding lights. What were they thinking? Lilike wondered. The child spoke to fill the void left by the adults. Now everyone says double digits, but because I've always tracked my age in binary, I graduated to double digits at age three. So, big whoop, right? The void remained, again, not even a sound from the crew or Constance. As the third child of Inilji and Hernan Pessoa, the ambassador to the nation of Brazilian, Lilike was the first non-female identifying child, giving Z a level of attention and doting Z's older sisters could all but envy. The legacy of the spoiled youngest child combined with stubbornly persistent preference for male or at least non-female progeny made for a potent dynamic. It propelled whatever latent genius may have lay waiting in Lilike's being into overdrive, pushing the tyke into pursuits of mastering several languages, including machine code, old Amsterdamian, and advanced quantum networking protocol. One thing Z had little grasp of was cooking, so it became a matter-of-fact detail in the discussion whenever the topic of the child's play soup from that night arose. Constance pressed on. Lily Kay. Now, I know this is a sensitive topic, but I have to ask about the stone stew you served, Chancellor Von Drum. Lily Kay cut in. I served the entire table? Yes, of course. About that. Did anyone in your family know it was not right? Off? Poisoned? As I've said before, I didn't know. And yet, the death of Herr von Drom and the subsequent revelation of his heinous crimes have somehow absolved you and brought showering praise from the news feeds. Do you feel any responsibility? No. I made stones too. It consisted of several rocks, which I found at a construction site, a carrot, some red cabbage, three quarts of water, and a tablespoon of paprika. I had no clue the rocks contained a chemical that would react to the paprika with a sort of molecular efficiency to make it extraordinarily toxic. I mean, enough to be a swift and deadly poison? That's crazy. Even well-respected chemists have looked at this whole situation and said that this was a fluke. To make this work, you'd have to get proportions and measurements perfect. But you can see how the public, acknowledging your unusually adept intelligence, dare I say genius, believes I planned it? An eight-year-old? <laughs> That'll be enough. Unless the father of this child, what do you have to say regarding the investigation recently aimed at your involvement? My involvement? I like to cook. So? Is that a crime? Come on, Lily. Lily K resisted their father's pull. No, I I'm okay. I'm not afraid. You're shaking like an artificial leaf in a wind tunnel. So? I'm nervous. Wouldn't you be? 
you made a stew, which no one paid any attention to since cooking is the one domestic area where your father truly shines. And the former chancellor of Bohemia served himself a bowl. Your mother told him explicitly not to eat it, but he winked at you and gave it a sip. Was it a pretend sip? It was not. Now he's dead. Big kerfuffle. More on this next time. Conspiracy theorists will go buck wild. Had to take the jacket off. It'll take some time to break it in. It was a bit tight. Like an old pair of pants from elementary school. However, I think you'll be intrigued by what I discovered after rummaging through the pockets. Inside that jacket, I found a leather-bound journal, quote, property of Flather Murglebaum. Please return to his Celex location for a generous reward, end quote. Sorry, Vlath, can't do that with this tablet. And this puts me in an ethical quandary, my stock and trade. Seeing how this is a personal diary, I don't think it's proper to air out the fellow's innermost secrets. They could be horribly boring. So let me get acquainted with it first and get back to you. Now, if you don't mind, I've got some homework. Feels a little more like home here with the cut glass bowl overflowing with assorted hard candies. The candy looks creepily similar to the standard flavors, but every wrapper says Wazzle Candy Co., a family-friendly operation. That last part's not ominous, is it? Okay, good. No, I didn't think so either. Might as well dig in, lose my wazzle virginity. I'll try and guess the flavor without reading it. Teal-colored foil wrapper. It tastes, and I don't know how else to put this, like fine family moments and good times. Let's see. Fine times flavor. Imagine that. Feel free to hang out. Today's shocking sleep fact picks up where we left off last time. Did you know hunter-gatherer tribes honor our biologically natural bedtime? Indeed. However, artificial light in modern societies tricks us into believing night is day, at least on a neurological, biological level. And this physiological lie pushes our clock two to three hours. So... If you are hearing this audio at 11 p.m. in New York City and you've been bathed in artificial light all night, biologically speaking, you've been dragged westward how far to be continued after the credits. Screaming Panda presents Courage, Episode 17, the seventh chapter of Hellgate City, Season 2. Courage was written, performed, and produced by Kevin Barry, the lion-hearted composer of its original music and episode art 
The bonus tale for this chapter is Aftermath, Glitch in the Matrix 17. It's available at patreon.com forward slash Hellgate City. And if you ever encounter a lion with a human face, run. Even a benevolent sphinx occasionally challenges you to answer a riddle. And if you get it wrong, she won't eat you, but she will keep you around like a chew toy, and you'll miss important appointments. Now, let's wrap up that shocking sleep fact. Ah, yes. As I was saying, if you're in New York City and listening to this at 11 p.m. and have been bathed in artificial light all night, biologically speaking, you've been dragged westward to Chicago time, so it's 10, or heck, even San Francisco time, 8 p.m. Exposure to artificial evening and nighttime light can therefore masquerade as sleep-onset insomnia the inability to begin sleeping soon after getting into bed. And with that, I bid you adieu. Oh, I almost forgot. If you can write a sentence, save me from the humiliation and diminishing returns of self-promotion. With over 37,000 downloads, we should have at least, what, 37,000 reviews? Instead, we have seven on Apple Podcasts. Help me make it 37 by Thanksgiving. That's November 23rd. And I'll release a secret alternate ending of our 9 to Midnight story, Baba Yaga O'Reilly. Yeah, I pronounced it right this time. Write a five-word review on Apple Podcasts now. Just tell me what you like about the show or which episode made you a regular listener. Here, I'll do it with you in real time. Uh, just unlock your phone. You're listening on a Zune? Oh, that's an iPod Brown. Only sold in Seattle. Okay, for, for everyone else, just open the Apple Podcasts app. Go to your library. It's at the bottom. You just click that button on the whatever. And then scroll down and hit the show. And then, wait, I'm not following my own show. You're not following the show? You're probably in Seattle, aren't you? That's our biggest city of listeners. All right, so if that's the case, then hit the search thing at... Um, magnifying glass on the lower right, type in Hellgate City, all one word, and it will pop up. And click on the top entry that says show. At the very top, hit the follow button with the plus sign, and then scroll to the very bottom, not the very, very bottom, but right to where it says trailers, and then ratings and reviews, where it says tap to rate, I skip that. Tap, write a review. And then um, in the subject line, you can just write, you know, best show, funny sci-fi that doesn't suck and keeps you out of prison. And then in the description, you can write, Seattle has a mandate that we have to stay updated and subscribed, which has kept me out of jail multiple times after being pulled into those black vans, period. Also... The show was fantastic, so it really is a win-win. Something like that. Or, you know, throw them a curveball. Title, Causes Wet Dreams. Review, every time I listen to this before bed, I have amazing dreams, often wet, don't know why, period. The show is not necessarily sexual, it's just hilarious and really great and highly recommended. Or, and also, you always rate five stars at the top of these. You got to do that, because otherwise these things are going to come off wrong. I'll just give you one more. Title, this show taught me how to dream walk into the past and stop my parents' divorce. Review, JK, I figured out how to do that on my own, but I couldn't have done it 
without Kirby and the gang by my side, keeping me entertained and laughing while I was studying this very difficult dark art. It's that good, right? Uh, Funny sci-fi that doesn't suck. I'll go to my grave saying this is the best show on earth. Whatever it is that you, you know, or this is a good hook. Um, Never made love to a monkey, but dot, dot, dot. If I did, I would recommend this show afterwards. Whoops, I meant M-O-N-K-E-E. Welp, they won't let me change it. Anyway, five zillion stars. So that's a pretty good template. And um, you can always say five bazillion, jillion, kabillion, quadrillion stars. My bad, I meant infinite stars. There is nothing better. Most of my friends transcended to cyberspace on the second listen. Oh, and rate on Spotify to right the wrong of our four stars compared to 4.9 stars on Apple. It's easy with Spotify. You just open the app. I'm going to walk you through this one too. Boom. Uh, what do you want to listen to? Hell gate. Just those two words should take you there. And then <clears throat> tap on the show, scroll to the top, hit that kebab menu, which is the three little dots next to the gear, follow and rate show, tap five stars. You know how this goes. We have 40 ratings already on Spotify. We should have way more. There should be like 277 ratings there. You guys got to add like 200 plus ratings. And I guarantee you, I will make this alternate ending for Baba Yaga O'Reilly. If you hit 270 ratings or 4.9 stars by midnight on Thanksgiving Day, Eastern time on Spotify. So there's a lot of opportunities. And I don't know if you can hear that, but my popcorn is popping. I got to go. Till next time, dream hackers. Dream hackers.